Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today it's with great pleasure my guest is Vincent Lemire. Vincent is the author of In the Shadow of the War, The Life and Death of Jerusalem's Maghrebi Quarter, 1187-1967, published by Stanford University Press in 2023. The Maghrebi Quarter of Jerusalem long sun in the shadow of the Western War. Three days after the June 1967 war, Israeli forces raised the quarter, its narrow alleys widened and homes removed to create the Western Wall Plaza and residents obviously displaced. With this book, the author, Vincent Mir, writes the first history of the Mugrabi Quarter, spanning 800 years from its founding by Saladin in 1187 to house North African Muslim pilgrims through its destruction in the 20th century. As the author gathers archival documentation, he engages testimonies of former residents and looks to recent archaeological dates, and he offers a new point of entry to understand this consequential place in Jerusalem and Palestine. But before we delve into all of this, first things first, Vincent, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Roberto. Now, just to start our conversation, can you tell us something about yourself and the origins of this book? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a French uh, historian. I'm 50, 50 years old. Uh, I'm working on Jerusalem since uh, 1998. I spent like eight years of my life to study the water supply in Jerusalem. Uh, so I'm working on the urban, yeah, urban history of, of Jerusalem. And in 2015, uh, I had a, a dinner uh, at the Haifa al-Khalidi uh, place um, in the very center of the old city of Jerusalem, just in front of the Western Wall Plaza. And at the end of this dinner, she she told me her story, the story, her story of the destruction of the Mogabi neighborhood uh, during the night uh, from the 10th to the 11th uh, uh, of June 1967. So during the Six Day uh, War, and she she not only told me the story, she gave me the story. It it was something very strange, very strange and very strong. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange and very strong. And I, I, I went out, uh, and from this very day, it, it, it cannot be outside of my brain. And I had, during this time, I had many, many other projects and so on. But in, in a few months, I, I understood that I will have to tell the story of the Mogabi neighborhood, which was what, what was strange. It's, I, I was working on Jerusalem for. Uh, uh, almost uh, 20 years ago, and I didn't know anything precisely about the story of this uh, neighborhood. That's why I, I decided to to work on it. Let me remind the listeners, first of all, about your work, which is in French, but is a very important book, La Soif de Jérusalem, which is basically a, a book about uh, the, uh, you, you called it the hydro history of Jerusalem, which was very, very uh, an interesting approach to look at uh, the history of water in Jerusalem. I want to go back to the Mugrabi Quarter. So the book is about the history of the Moroccan or Mugrabi Quarter of Jerusalem from 1187 to 1967. So it's a very long history. But I'm curious about why did you say that the quarter is in the shadow of the wall? What does it mean to be in the shadow of, of the Western Wall, this very 
a holy place for the Jews. Um, yeah, this is the, the, the subtitle of the book, and precisely because uh, the Mogabi quarter was, was, loca was located uh, in front of the Western Wall, exactly in front of the Western Wall, for the people who are listening to us, I'm sure that they, they or, or they went in Jerusalem, so they see the Western Wall directly, or they have seen once or many times a picture of the Western Wall. With, with the Dome of the Rock uh, behind. It's, it's like it's one of the most iconic uh, view uh, in the world, like the Eiffel Tower or, I don't know, Brooklyn Bridge. Or, and uh, for the people who are listening to us, it just the, the Western Wall Plaza today, it was the Mogabi neighborhood. It's as simple as that. Uh, the plaza was, was, was the neighborhood. So the neighborhood was uh, located uh, yeah, in the shadow of, of this... Uh, holy site of this western wall and of course it will it will change the the destiny of, of this neighborhood of this uh, Mogabi quarter but we have to add something which is strange but still um, that the when when the when the the, the Mogabi quarter was uh, uh, was built uh, so at the end of the 12th century this wall which is an Herodian one was not a holy site and was not a Jewish holy site or Jewish or Christian. It was not a holy site. The the the, the Jewish communities of Jerusalem uh, used to pray on the eastern wall to say uh, facing the, the the Mount of Olives or on the top of Mount of Olives or in other places. But we have no uh, any 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 uh, um, uh, testimony that that there were uh, Jewish uh, praying here before the middle, the second half of the 16th century, which was the when, when Solomon the Magnificent uh, built, uh, built the, the, uh, the wall uh, of, of, the, of the old city. So it's, it's strange because during three and a half uh, centuries, this Mogabi neighborhood was located uh, in the shadow of a wall, which was, yeah, a wall among uh, other walls. And uh, three, three and a half centuries after that, it became a holy site and a holy site more and more important for, for the Jewish uh, population. And at the end of the 19th uh, century, for even for Zionism and after for Israel and so on. And that is the history of this neighborhood. And that's why it will be uh, destroyed at, at the end of the day. I think you mentioned a very important point about uh, uh, the Western Wall. Um, the fact that today we take for granted that the Western Wall is this uh, uh, obviously Jewish uh, holy place, probably the holiest place for the Jewish people. But it's true that effectively uh, up until the 16th century, all of the uh, uh, Jewish travelers to Jerusalem report that they were praying outside the walls and the wall is barely mentioned. And so obviously we need to take into account the fact that Holy places change locations and change meaning throughout time. Nothing is fixed. And I think this is very important because today we tend to think about holy places as fixed in time and they never change throughout their history. But that's not certainly the case. Now, I, I want to ask you something about uh, your obsession. Uh, some listeners may know that Vincent Lemire was also the director of the Open Jerusalem Project which was a project dedicated to collecting uh, sources worldwide about Jerusalem. And in the book, there is an amazing picture. It's a drawing uh, that gives the readers a good sense of the archival journey that you undertook in order to collect the material needed. So I was wondering if you can give us a sense of the sources that you have used and particularly where did you find them? Yeah, I, I, I put this picture because uh, first, I drew this picture because I, I, I was uh, I was lost in the middle of this uh, of this document, and I put these pictures just to show how yeah how historians are, are working. They are working on a very small neighborhood, and they are going all around the world to find uh, one page, ten page, uh, half a page uh, about this very small place and. This is how we how we work. This is, yeah, the the obsession of of the of the historian, 
And yeah, this in this case, I I agree. In this case, it's very it's very impressive because because the Mograbi neighborhood is in the middle of many many uh, many many strategies, many many powers, many many uh, uh, institutions, and so. Yeah, I had to. I had to to go uh, in 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 very different places. It's an Islamic history because it was it was a waqf. It was an Islamic waqf. So I had to work in the in the Islamic archives, not far away in Abu Dis, though just east of uh, east of uh, of Jerusalem today. Uh, and there we find yeah a lot of paper about the about the Islamic institution of uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, it was. Also, uh, an imperial history because because the pilgrims, uh, the the Muslim pilgrims, it it was a very important issue for the for the Ottoman imperial power. So I I could find a lot of documents in Istanbul in the Ottoman imperial uh, archives. Um, I also find some documents uh, in the in the Ottoman municipal archives of of Jerusalem. Uh, during the mandate period, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit different. Of course, the documents are in London because this neighborhood facing uh, the Western world in the shadow of the world uh, became a kind of strategic uh, issue. Um, and so we find a lot of documents in London, plus a lot of documents, more and more documents in the Zionist archives, uh, which were produced here and there in Berlin, in London, in 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 uh, you know in in uh, in Moscow or everywhere, but now they are they are uh, they are in uh, in Jerusalem. Um, more than that, during the 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 fifties, we find a lot of documents about this neighborhood in the French diplomatic uh, archives. I think we will talk about it uh, later. Uh, and it's and it for me it was it was uh, yeah discovery yeah scoop very very. Uh, uh, it's, it's very new, uh, and and so I I, I I found a lot of documents there in west of France, Nantes, where we find the the, the diplomatic archives. Um, and for the end of the history, of course, I had to go in the Israeli state archive uh, because yes, the the Israeli administrations, let's say, institutions. Uh, decided to destroy uh, this neighborhood, and and after that they 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 had a strategy to 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 build a kind of of silence around this. So so yeah, I I I had to work in the Israeli uh, Israeli archives, and and at the very last uh, I had to work in the in the international organization like Red Cross, for example, in in Geneva, because after the destruction, this this international organization. Uh, they they took care about the inhabitants of of the neighborhood. So we have uh, a lot of of documents about not about the neighborhood itself, but about the inhabitants uh, uh, of the of the neighborhood. I have one more introductory question. I must admit, when I read uh, the book, and I also want to tell listeners that I read also the French version of the book, I was a little bit puzzled by the kind of history you were trying to tell. So. I'd like to know from you, what kind of history are you trying to tell? What, what kind of history of a Mugrabi quarter you try to uh, write down? You argue at the beginning also that there is virtually no written history of the Mugrabi quarter. So I was wondering, why do you think uh, this is the case? Yeah, no, th this is the case for sure. If, if you just, yeah, when when you read the the introduction of my book, it, it even for me it was uh, uh, I was astonished because before I was before the this work there there were one paper uh, published in the Jerusalem uh, uh, Quarterly, uh, like I don't know ten pages or twelve pages about the Mogabi neighborhood. It was written by Tom Abbott. Uh, it was quite a good paper, but about this neighborhood in the very center of the old city, there were these 12 pages, no more. Uh, the the Mogabi Waqf, you can, sometimes you can find one footnote here and there, but no, no history. And so it's a beginning, yeah, 
here I can it's it's a first step to to answer to to your first question. What kind of history I was writing? And you're you're right. It it was not clear, and maybe it's still not clear because when you are writing the very first history of any object or place, you don't have to you don't and and sometimes you don't know how to to uh, to. Yeah, to compare your own work with many, many other uh, work that were written before. So I, I was just looking for documents, and it, it, it's a, quite a classical history, very chronological. And um, yes, one must can say that that yeah, it's it's an history from from above because I, I did work mostly in the institutional archives because it was more easy to to find, but. Even I, I, I met some some inhabitants, I uh, some some uh, uh, oral uh, testimonies and so on. But you're right. There is no there is no strong methodological uh, choice uh, at the beginning of of the work. Maybe maybe in uh, uh, yeah during the work I I, I invented uh, something and and I, I add the archaeological. Uh, uh, data and, and so on. So maybe the 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 originality the originality of the work uh, was invented uh, during the uh, during the, the the work itself. I found it fascinating the fact that you're talking about uh, you know breaking the ground of something new. So my hope is that in the future people will pick up from your research and start writing more histories. Of the Mugrabi Quarter, because it's say in the book, and obviously the book tried to tries to cover uh, most of the chronology of the Mugrabi Quarter. There's so much to uncover about it, and here I sure. really want to start talking about uh, the origins of the quarter. So, if you can tell us a little bit more about how the quarter came to be, and also a little bit more about the wakf associated with it. Yeah, so we are at the end of the 12th century. Uh, a certain uh, Saladin uh, conquest uh, the city, and he conquest a city. So just just at the end of the Crusader uh, period, and he has to re-urbanize this this city first, and second, uh, he has to to make this city again an Islamic city, and for that he has to 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 help the pilgrims. Uh, and and first of all, the pilgrims for for from far away and from the west, so the Maghrebis, he, he, he must to he must help them to to come uh, in the uh, um, in the holy city of uh, of Jerusalem, in the Islamic holy city of Jerusalem. So it's an Islamic uh, wax, um, and and it it was uh, created precisely to to and con very concretely to host. Uh, to take care, to feed the people uh, from the West. So from today, let's say Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco. Uh, so the Mograbis. And these Mograbis, sometimes they were in Jerusalem for a few days, just before uh, going uh, to uh, Mecca. But sometimes they will stay uh, some weeks or months, or even they will stay years, and sometimes even they will die there because uh, you never know. Maybe uh, you, you you have widow, uh, you have illness, you have yeah. It 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 was the medieval time and the modern time. It was not easy uh, to 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 travel. And it is the Mogabi neighborhood tells us the history of the pilgrims of the of and of the pilgrimage uh, before before the plains. So before uh, like fifty. 50 years ago, and it was a very long and a very dangerous uh, travel, and and one uh, need some places like like the Mogabi neighborhood uh, in the middle of the road. Now, in the first chapter, you're talking about uh, the archival visibility in the late Ottoman era. So, it, essentially, chapter one is a survey of the Mogabi quarters. Uh, in this period of time. And I was wondering if you can share some of the stories that you recount in the book. Yeah, it's the, the, the late Ottoman history of the neighborhood tells us two things, I think. The, the first is 
that the neighborhood was very important at an imperial uh, level uh, because for the, the Sultan Caliph, the Ottoman Sultan Caliph, the pilgrimage is, yes, it is, is a very important issue. He has to take care of it. And so we can find in Istanbul, in the Imperial Ottoman Archives, a lot of documents about, about money transfer, about survey, about, um, um, yeah, about a lot of, uh, uh, um, a lot of, of testimonies uh, showing that the, the imperial uh, uh, the imperial power was was looking uh, to to the Mogabi neighborhood very uh, very carefully, and the second uh, the second level is the municipal level, so more local uh, municipal level in Jerusalem, and this is this is very important because I discovered in the municipal archives in the Ottoman municipal archives. Um, the the proof that the Mograbi neighborhood and the Mograbis themselves were st strongly uh, integrated uh, in the in the urban uh, um, in the urban social uh, network. Uh, it was not a, a margin. Uh, uh, it was one hundred the contrary of of a margin. It was in the very center of the city geographically, but even. Even um, we can we can we can uh, see that the the Mogabis were were working in the financial uh, uh, offices um, in in the tax and customs and so on. So you can see that they were in the very in the middle of the on the social and and political network and the notabilities uh, in Jerusalem. This was a discovery because before working, I was thinking. That yeah, it was a kind of yeah, kind of margin uh, in the in the very south of the old city uh, of Jerusalem, and the municipal archives tells us exactly the contrary. That that's fascinating, and uh, I, I want to now share with the with the listener uh, kind of uh, an episode related to the Mugrabi quarter, which also incidentally connects our own work. So you moved throughout the book. To talk about the period of World War One, and here there is this episode that I was just mentioning. Uh, I too discovered, incidentally, I was looking for material related to uh, urban planning, but I found documents related to the Western Wall, which had could, better say, have had a major impact on the Mugrabi Quarter. So, can you speak about the Ottoman plan to sell the Mugrabi Quarter to the Zionists during World War One? Yeah, we are in 1916, and uh, yeah, it's you. You discovered this this document. Uh, I did not, and you and you sent it to me. And it's it's important for for the people who are listening that this is the how we work. Uh, it's 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 a network. It's a trust. Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's a kind of organization between us. When 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 you know that. Someone is working on one topic, and you are in our archives, and yeah, you send it to to him. It's it's a collaborative work. So um, uh, yeah, and for me it was very important because so it's it's 1916. It's uh, Jamal Pasha, who is someone very very important in the very late Ottoman uh, history. Um, we don't know if if he tried to sell uh, the Mograbi neighborhood to the Zionists for ideological uh, reasons or for financial uh, reasons. In my point of view, I think it's more for financial uh, issues. He, he, he was looking for, for money uh, for himself or, you know, for the young Turks or for the war or for, yeah, it was, Jamal Pasha was quite uh, someone. And, and the, the second issue is that uh, during that time, the Ottoman Empire was, uh, there were an, an alliance with uh, Germany, and the World Zionist Organization was based in Berlin. And so, yeah, of course, it it helped because there were a kind of proximity between between the Zionist Organization and and Germany, and so the the, uh, the Ottoman Empire. Um, so Jamal Pasha tried to sell the Mograbi neighborhood to the Zionist Organization, but the problem was that he was trying to sell something that it that he could not sell uh, because it's a waqf. And so he didn't have any right uh, about this property. 
And thanks God, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks God, the, the Zionists knew it. And, and especially the, the local, the local one, uh, David Yelin, for example, the, all the local Zionists, they, they, they told, but they, they have told even before that it's not possible to buy legally uh, uh, the Mograbi neighborhood because it's a wax. So it's inalienable, it's a perpetual property. And so if someone uh, wants to sell it to you, don't buy it because it's not possible, technically, juridically. So the project was, uh, was uh, canceled. But I'm curious about one thing. Uh, when I discovered these documents, the plan was very much to demolish the Mugrabi houses, which eventually happened in 1967 when the Israeli took over uh, the old city of Jerusalem. And I was wondering if, in your view, you ever thought about the possibility that some in the Israeli administration were aware of those plans. I mean, it's not written. I never found any evidence. But the fact that the plans were very similar at some point made me think that someone must have known about those plans. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm quite, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, and even, even if they didn't know precisely about this map, uh, this Jamal Pasha proposal 1916, it's, it was in the middle of, of global conversation about how to deal with these small houses in front of uh, uh, the Western Wall, uh, the most important uh, monument for the, for, the Jewish, uh, for the Jewishness and so on. So, yeah, it, it, it was not, the, the, the proposal made by Jamal Pasha was not uh, made by chance. It, it, it's it's, uh, it's significant uh, in, 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 this, in this context. You're right. Let me ask about the British. So, Obviously, we know in 1917, the British took over and they began to make changes, particularly through the uh, uh, work of um, Ronald Storrs. Can you tell us how did the British see the Mugrabi Quarter and how did they think it should or not have been changed or transformed? Yeah, this is a topic that you know uh, way better than me. Um, the, you know, the, the, the urban... Uh, yeah, the urban reforms and 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 projects uh, uh, from the British in 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 Jerusalem just after the the First World War, but I just from from the Mogabi neighborhood uh, point of view, I discovered that that yes, there there were two consequences and uh, bad consequences for the Mogabi neighborhood. The first one is that the the British wanted to to restrict the the power of the let's say of the of the WAC. Uh, administration, the power and the autonomy, especially, and um, so th this is this is the first uh, uh, the first thing, and the second point is that is is let's say the 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 town planning uh, ideology, um, and and Patrick uh, Gates and and many many others to uh, the decongestions, the opening of squares, uh, opening plaza. Uh, in front of the main monuments, it's yes, it's a patrimonial uh, ideology. It's 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 not only in Jerusalem; it's it's in many many uh, cities around the Mediterranean, but even in Europe. And even you destroyed the neighborhood in front of uh, of the more uh, magnificent monument. For example, in front of uh, uh, Cathedral Notre Dame uh, in Paris, uh, because you need a place, an open place to admire the monument. So it's, it's a very global, global, yes, ideology, a global model, a uh, global framework, which came, uh, uh, let's say, in the luggage of the British uh, during, the, during the 20s and the, and the 30s. Let's talk now about France. And, and I believe that this is one of the most important discovery, uh, at least to me, uh, you know, in, in the book, but also thinking about your research. So the role of France in relation to the Moroccans of Jerusalem, and you argue that this became more relevant towards the end of the mandate and indeed after 1948. So can you speak about the fate of the quarter in the late 40s and early 50s? And where is the archival material 
related to this period? The, the archival material is in, uh, in uh, Nantes, so in, in France. It's, it came from, from the French consulate uh, in Jerusalem. Um, in 1948, uh, there is the first war between Israel and, uh, uh, and his uh, neighbors. And uh, as you know, the, the western part of Jerusalem came to Israel and the eastern part to uh, the Jordanians. Um, and we have to, to know that the like 60%, maybe 70% of the, the, the incomes of the Mogabi neighborhood came from a small village called Ein Karem, which is a very famous one, uh, west, west of Jerusalem. And this village uh, uh, was located after 1948 in Israel, west of the Green Line. And so, of course, all the incomes all the, the revenues and then the tax and, and everything uh, were lost. And so the Mogabi neighborhood were in a terrible situation in, in 1948. That's why the French decided to, um, yeah, to, to move on and to try to build like a strategy um, towards the Mogabi neighborhood and inhabitants, but maybe mainly towards the Algerians and Tunisians and Moroccans. That, that, that is, that's why it's very interesting. And that's why Jerusalem is, yeah, is a global city. Uh, the, the French government, uh, they were facing a very difficult situation in these three countries because the people were, were beginning to, to ask for independence. And so they were trying every, everywhere to show the let's say the 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 loyalty of the of the French government towards uh, towards the Muslim colonized uh, inhabitants uh, in these three uh, countries, and the Mogabi neighborhoods in the very middle of the holy city of Jerusalem, uh, yeah, was was a part of this soft power, and so that's that's why the 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 French uh, government. Uh, were were um, mo mobilized, and the second, uh, maybe the second reason is is a m even more diplomatic uh, reason in history. The the French were French government were was looking for a position between Israel and the Jordanians. They were trying to find again, I don't know how to say it, something to do, something to say. It's you know diplomacy, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> it's you have to. Yeah, to find a strategy, you have to find places, and 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 so to have a kind of of sovereignty in the very middle of the holy city of Jerusalem, the, uh, the old city, just in front of the western wall of Jerusalem, and the French, of course, they they knew that there were a conflict between the Jordanians and the Israelis about the access to the western wall during this very period. Uh, because the Jordanians refused to 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 let the the, the Jewish Israelis uh, get in, so for the French, the French government, uh, they were thinking that yeah, maybe it could be helpful to be here and to try to intermediate between uh, Israel and, and and the Jordanians. It won't work, but this is <laughs> this is life. But yeah, it was. Uh, a few years of history of the Mograbi neighborhood. It produced a lot of documents, a lot of descriptions, uh, even social descriptions of the inhabitants, how many people from Tunisia, from Morocco, for Algiers. So, so for, for a historian, it's, it, of course, it's very, it's very helpful. This is a fascinating bit of history to think about that France claims some sort of connection with the Mugabe Quarter through its colonial possessions throughout North Africa. And you're right, that makes the history of Jerusalem uh, even more global, uh, you know, just beyond religion. There's also the question of geopolitics. And your chapter four really shows uh, how the history of Jerusalem is a global one. And I was wondering to what extent uh, events like the war in Algeria or the Swiss Canal crisis in 1956 have influenced the Mugrabi Quarter and also the historical material, so the, the archival documentation related to the Mugrabi Quarter. Yes, because 
step by step, the, the, this soft power strategy uh, contradicted uh, the, the violent and, and cruel uh, war um, against the Algerians uh, in Algeria. Uh, it, it, it became more and more difficult to, 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 you know, to justify, to help uh, the Algerians and Tunisians and Moroccans in, in, in Jerusalem and to fight them and to kill them uh, in their own country, in their own countries. Um, and so this contradiction uh, was more and more important. And in, in 1955, 1956, the, 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 uh, Tunisia and, and, and Morocco uh, were lost. So, yeah, the, 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 even uh, two-thirds of this strategy is, is out, out of the table. And um, in, in 1956, yes, the, the Suez Canal uh, crisis, the Suez Canal War, um, uh, shows a direct alliance between Israel and, and the British and the French, uh, and, and, and the French against, um, against the, the Egyptians. And so, of course, it, it, uh, it, makes, uh, it, it makes the French government more and more, um, yes, more and more in contradiction with this, with this soft power, very, very generous, uh, uh, um, um, Action uh, towards the the Mograbis uh, in uh, in Jerusalem, and at the end, uh, in 1962, uh, the France lost uh, for good, lost Algeria, and so they don't have any anymore any right to protect the Mograbi neighborhood in in uh, in Jerusalem. This is, in my opinion, this is a kind of direct. Um, factor for the destruction just five years after. Which brings me to the question of, uh, you know, so far we discussed the Mugrabi quarter when it actually existed, when the Mugrabi quarter was constituted by houses and people, alleys, and, you know, a daily life. But in 1967 brought what you call expel and demolish. So the Six-Day War marked the fate of the Mugrabi Quarter. Can you just briefly tell us about these events, how that happened? How did the uh, Mugrabi Quarter ended up being fully demolished? The first thing is that the, the Israeli government, they knew about 19, uh, 1962. I have, I have many, many archival uh, proof that they knew directly that the Mugrabis in Jerusalem uh, they, they, they didn't have any more any protection, juridical, financial, dip diplomatic protection, just five years before, and, and, and on a very high uh, level, uh, the, 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 prime, the prime minister. Um, so, and, 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 and the Six day, Days uh, War, of course, was a kind of opportunity. Um, I'm not saying that it was scheduled for June uh, 1967 to destroy the Morgabi neighborhood because because it was not scheduled to take East Jerusalem uh, in in in, uh, in in that period. But but to, now we know more and more that the Israelis were prepared to 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 uh, to take Jerusalem. They were prepared. They 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 yeah. They in, in case uh, there were there were some uh, some process and, and, and strategy and protocols and, and so on. On, on Wednesday, uh, 7th uh, of June 1967, the, the Israelis get in the old city of Jerusalem uh, and inside every, every, every quarter, it's, it's very small, you know. Um, just uh, 36 hours after that, uh, during the morning of the fr Friday the 9th, there were two decisive and strategic uh, meetings. The first one was between Teddy Kolek, the mayor of West Jerusalem, and Uzi Narkis, who, who, the, who, who, who commanded uh, the, 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 the military operation, Israeli military operation, in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. So, you know, it, it, you see it's a very high-level meeting. And there were a few, uh, um, few decisions 
a few decisions and it's written on the paper that the third one was the destruction uh, of the Mogabi neighborhood. So yeah, it was decided uh, two days before uh, the destruction on a very, very high uh, level, the municipality plus uh, the Israeli army. And on the same day, on the same morning, Friday the 9th, um, there were another meeting in the Foreign Affairs uh, Ministry uh, because the Foreign Affairs Ministry was preparing, let's say, the consequences uh, of the destruction. They were trying to, yeah, it's kind of damage control uh, uh, meeting. And so they were, they were uh, preparing some wording, languages, justification. Yeah, it was an old neighborhood. Uh, the houses were very dangerous. It was very urgent to destroy it. Come on, it was not that urgent to destroy these eight centuries houses just uh, just during the war. But, you know, we can see that the municipality of Jerusalem, the Israeli army and the government, because the Ministry of Foreign Affairs were directly involved in this uh, in this decision. And on Saturday uh, at around five o'clock, five and a half, uh, there were a meeting um, just in front of the Western Wall. There were architects, uh, archaeologists, uh, National Park, uh, Israeli na National Park, uh, um, the head, and they and they they, they drew they drew a map. Uh, they tried they tried officially they tried to preserve some some of of the main building of the neighborhood. For example, the Madrasa Al Abdaliya. Uh, we can see it on the map that they draw, but they draw it very, very quickly, you know, on maybe maybe a table or maybe not a table on, on I don't know, a car or something uh, around there. And but, the, but the, the destruction was way more large than than the map. Uh, and one thousand eight between eight hundred and one thousand inhabitants were expelled this very night. Uh, so at the end of the day of the sat Saturday, uh, 10th of June, and the neighborhood was destroyed during the night. On Sunday morning at nine o'clock, there were journalists from the, the Jerusalem Post uh, up there, and you can see that the Mogabi neighborhood uh, disappeared. And we should say that in the book, there are some uh very dramatic pictures uh, showing the demolition and what was left after the Mugrabi quarter was destroyed. And so I want to ask you something about uh, the demolition. You call the demolition of the Mugrabi quarter a catastrophe. So what happened after these houses were gone? As I just said, yeah, one 1,000 inhabitants were expelled. Uh, they were expelled uh, or in Silwan or uh, in Betranina or some had some families in Jericho or elsewhere in Palestine. Um, this is this is the first uh, the first consequence. There were not huge diplomatic reactions uh, because you know the Six Days War was yeah quite quite a huge. Uh, um, event in, in uh, on the geopolitical point of view. So one can Im imagine that maybe the destruction of this small neighborhood was not that important uh, uh, facing uh, everything else. So the, the, the annexion, uh, you know, of the, uh, the occupation of, uh, of the West Bank, of the uh, in, in Gaza, um, the Golan Aids, so on. So we have to to put it in in this in this context. But what was very interesting for for me is that uh, I was um, I talked with with Meron Benvenisti during during this period when when I was working uh, on this very very uh, chapter. Uh, Meron Benvenisti was the vice uh, the deputy mayor uh, of Jerusalem. He was. Like very very close to Teddy Kolek, was very young. He was like 35 years old. He was an historian. He was a medievalist. He was uh, an Arab Arabist. He can speak Arabic very well. And Teddy Kolek asked him to yeah to take care about East Jerusalem. And one of his first uh, mission was 
to try and to succeed to build, yes, what I called kind of a wall of silence around the destruction of the Mogabi neighborhood. And how, how did he build this silence? Uh, he, he proposed some compensation uh, to the inhabitants. This was another big uh, surprise for me, because when you talk with the, with the inhabitants and so on, and when I was uh, reading, for example, the paper uh, uh, that I talked about from Tom Abbott, it, it, it's always written there was no compensation at all. There were some compensation. I, I did see all the file in the municipal archives. It's, it was not big money because, um, because the inhabitants were not the owners of the houses. You know, the, the owner of the houses were the wakf. And the wakf, yeah, it's true, the wakf never ask and never accept any compensation, any indemnization, because they didn't want to, uh, to, to legitimize this action. And so the inhabitants, they received the compensation just because they were expelled. And because they were expelled in two hours, and because they cannot take even the table, even the carpet, even they didn't take anything. So it was a small amount of money, but it was a very poor population. And, and they were in a very difficult situation, expelled uh, in Silwan, or uh, as, as I say, in, in refugee camps of uh, Betranina. So most of them accepted this small amount of money. But to get the money, they had to sign a letter, uh, a renunciation letter, and it, where, where it's written, I will never ask anything uh, anymore. And I, I will not talk about this story anymore. So yes, Meron Bedvenisti succeeded in a very few months, like in six months, to, yeah, to buy uh, with no big money, the silence of the inhabitants uh, of the neighborhood. This is another explanation why uh, why we didn't hear a lot about this story. And in fact, to my surprise, a few years uh, ago, very much when I started my own podcast, Jerusalem Unplugged, I was contacted by a woman who's searching information about uh, the surviving houses uh, of a Mugrabi quarter known as uh, Dar Abu Saud. These houses were eventually demolished in 1969. And uh, it's a fascinating micro history of the micro history of a Mugrabi quarter. So I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about uh, the remaining houses and what happened to them and why in the end these two were demolished. Yeah, you're, you're right. This, this, uh, these houses, uh, were destroyed two years late, uh, later, in June uh, 1969. And I just want to say to the people who are listening, maybe they will try to find some picture or even video film about the destruction of the Mogabi neighborhood. There is no video film about the destruction. And on the web, uh, you can see some uh, video film uh, and it's written, destruction of the Mogabi neighborhood uh, June 1967, but it's not. It's the destruction of the Dar Abu Saud. There was there was no one uh, video uh, or or camera uh, uh, film uh, footing in 67. It's 60 uh, 69, and yeah, it was. Uh, uh, there were some some pictures and some film in 69 because because these houses are very big. Uh, if you look at, at at the picture before it was destroyed, it, they were very big. They were, they were. These houses were put on a small hill, let's say, so they were much more higher than uh, um, the, 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 the 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 Mogabi neighborhood itself. It 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 was very prestigious houses and families, and that's why a certain uh, Yasser Arafat uh, did uh, uh, spend like three years in these houses uh, during the 30s. These houses were the only places, the, the only place where Yasser Arafat uh, lived in Palestine before uh, 1993, before he, he, he came back in Gaza. It's, 
that's why this this story is 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 a crazy one because you can find all the big history of of Jerusalem and Israel and Palestine in in this very very small area. So anyway, the though the, these houses were were too big, were too strong, were too prestigious to be destroyed in the same time in June uh, 67. So it was impossible to to destroy it discreetly in 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 uh, in one night. So in the archives, uh, I, I I could find all the the whole process to to justify to legitimize this description. And it's, it it was very complex because it was not like you know between the Friday and the Saturday in the middle of the war. Uh, it was in front of every all the journalists, all the national, all the organization. And and even even in front of some Israeli institution, uh, Meron Ben Venisti, the same one, refused to participate uh, in this strategy. Uh, it's written is because um, one one time um, I, I didn't remember one office asked him to as 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 the municipality asked the municipality to to declare that this building is very dangerous and 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 will collapse because there is a crack in it, and Meron. Uh, answered, okay, come on, I know why you are asking me uh, to uh, to declare uh, uh, the, the very dangerous situation, and I don't want to participate uh, in this lie, so do it by yourself, destroy it, but I don't know, uh, I don't want to. So it's very interesting because it's a very Israeli history, and even today you have this kind of tension between between some Yes, different places and different. Uh, Israel is not like monolith, and, and even in, in '69 it was not a monolith. But 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 at the end of the day, uh, the, the the Abu Saud houses were were declared in, in very urgent dan danger of, of of collapse, and it was destroyed uh, two years uh, two years uh, after. Let's come to the epilogue of your book. So in the epilogue, you talk about the archives in the ground. In other words. The idea that while digging for archaeological evidence related to ancient buildings, archaeologists, and even today really, uh, began to unearth material related to the Mugrabi Quarter. How do they deal with this? How do people react? And how does this add to the story of the Mugrabi Quarter? Uh, if even for me, it was, um, yeah, it was very strong. Uh, uh, period of, of of my research because uh, as as historians, yeah, we we know how to deal with you know with with papers, with documents, with testimonies. Some sometimes it's very strong. Even even we know how to deal with uh, oral testimonies. Someone is telling us a story, but. We are not archaeologists, so we, we don't know how to how to deal with objects. Uh, sometimes, yeah, it's, and, and it's not a Neolithic or you know a Herodian or biblical object. It's like it's very it's 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 in front of you, and it's like just 50, 50 years old. For example, it's a little game, a little horse. Uh, and you can see even the the, the child who were who were playing this. It's 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 a direct link to the to the history. It's very sensitive. Uh, I did work, of course, with Israeli colleagues, and again, it's yeah, I I, I can find some like complicity inside the um, among the, the the Israeli archaeologists because uh, th there were public works on the on the Western Mall Plaza. Uh, since uh, 20 years, uh, to build toilets on the north part, to build tourist office on the on the western part, to build the new ramp uh, towards the, the Mogabi Gate on the southern part. Yeah, there were public work, and when when you are doing some public work, you have to dig, just even just to to put the 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 uh, the, the the house or, or the infrastructure you are you are working on. And uh, because it's Jerusalem, always you have to to ask for archaeologists just just to check. And immediately, just like one meter, half a meter uh, below uh, the very plaza, of course, they discovered 
object of the everyday life of the Mokrabi uh, quarter, like um, um, tools uh, uh, from a hair cutter or from a butcher or or even uh, objects directly uh, coming from from the houses, uh, like bottles, uh, like uh, a, a sewing machine, a big sewing machine. Why? Because the inhabitants, again, they were expelled in two hours. So it's like it's like Pompeii. It's like they they didn't uh, move their stuff. Their stuff is just below uh, the 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 Western Wall Plaza today. Western Wall Plaza. So as soon as you open it, you will find dozens and hundreds of uh, of objects. And for me, it was very important to. Yeah, to show this object in the book, so I, I put a lot of, 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 of pictures. I have many, many more, of course, but but even to help uh, the readers uh, to, yes, to realize, because again, one, one object, uh, um, kitchen utensils, uh, you know, tobacco pipes, it's, it's like uh, it, it makes this history, which is a very global one, we said, from Algeria, from France, from it's a very global one, but it's a very local uh, and and yeah, very local and and let's say uh, banal uh, banal history uh, of of one neighborhood of uh, of Jerusalem. So this is why I, I was I was working with this uh, archaeological uh, data. I have one last question, and I kind of like want to go full circle. So. What do we learn from bringing back the history of a Mugrabi quarter? And ultimately, what does the history of this quarter tell us about Jerusalem? First of all, I think this history tells us, yeah, that Jerusalem is a global city. Okay, we said it. But more, uh, even more than that, tells us that, that even the more iconic places in Jerusalem most of them are very recent or even very new. Uh, we know it for the 19th centuries. We know as historians of Jerusalem that most of the Christian holy places were, you know, invented, uh, built um, uh, in the 19th century. But again, this Western Wall Plaza, because it's an Herodian wall for everyone, and it tells us another thing. It tells us that the pilgrims and even the tourists, they come in Jerusalem uh, to look for, let's say, eternity. They don't want that. Maybe they don't want us to tell them that uh, what you are looking for. Yeah, here, this wall was built by Herod in the Herodian time. But it's, it's a Jewish holy place uh, just for five centuries ago. And just 50 years before here, you had uh, a living uh, neighborhood with a butcher, with a bakery, with children playing. Uh, they don't want to hear it. And as historians of Jerusalem, we have to tell this story. And that's why, that's why, um, yes, to, to conclude, that's why I decided to produce uh, a 3D reconstruction of the neighborhood. And, and to put this 3D reconstruction in, an, in a free app that all the people who are listening to us, they can download it for free on Apple Store on, or, or on Google Play Store. It's called Jerusalem Maghrebi Quarter. And in, in, in two minutes, they will, they will be inside the, the Maghrebi neighborhood. They will be above or inside in the street. They can, they can visit uh, this neighborhood. Again, because I think that yeah, it's it's important to to publish some books. <laughs> it's how how we work. Uh, it's important to talk about the books and to publish articles and academics and 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 and, and lessons and teaching in the university and so on and conference. But but if we want to 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 have a, a real impact on the wide public, we we must find another yeah other ways and. That's why we are talking today, uh, thanks, uh, thanks to you on the, with this podcast. And that's why 
this uh, 3D application, uh, Jerusalem, uh, Je Jerusalem Maghreb Quarter is important. It, it will help the people to realize and to visualize because to break this iconic image of the Western world without anything in front of, of this, you need an image, not only a book. Uh, so that's why that's why uh, um, this this history is is so important. It's so it's so it's it's a kind of paradigm of all the history of Jerusalem, in my in my opinion. This was Vincent Lemire, author of In the Shadow of the War, The Life and Death of Jerusalem's Maghreb Quarter, 1187-1967, published by Stanford University Press in 2023. Vincent, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Roberto.